tired of the light, then escape into the dark with DJ Evil Dave and Dr. Brandy's sexy voice. It's the Dark Corner Podcast, presented by strangeanddeadly.com. I'm just as fucked up as they say. I can't fake the daytime. I found an entrance to escape into the dark. Got false lights for the sun. It's an artificial nocturne. It's an outsider's escape for a broken heart. Hello, one and all. Welcome to a delayed podcast. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we're late a week because we're not feeling that well. No, I had a cold. Yeah, you had a cold. I had a pretty severe migraine. I mean, to the point where I was going to sleep and it was like a light show as I closed my eyes. Well, it's like that for me all the time. Yeah, really? Yeah. Like just these flashing bright white lights, like it's like staring into traffic or something. I don't know how to describe it. No, I know exactly what you mean because it's like, why did someone turn on the light in the bedroom and I open my eyes and it's darkness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, and you close your eyes and it's just a parade of bright lights. Elephants on parade? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Is that in the Dumbo? Yeah. Disney? Live action Dumbo. That's weird. Don't care. Yeah. Don't care about that at all. Nope. I wasn't a huge fan of the original Dumbo. I saw it once, and that was plenty for me. I'm not a huge fan of these live-action Disney remakes. Nor am I. She just got fuzz off my chin from the cat. I did. You had kitty hair in your beard. It's because he head-butted me. Yep, because he loves you. He loves me. He He was on my lap a little earlier. Now we're speaking like this. Okay. 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 Oh, sorry. Yeah, that can get annoying very quickly. Mm. Any b- other banter? The banter. The <laughs> b- b- banter. When you start saying it that way, it ceases to become banter and becomes meta. It becomes, it becomes part of the show. Yeah. It's like a segment set yeah. aside. That's the end of the banter segment. Yeah, uh, sure is. How about intro? Introduction. Uh, introduction. That's Brandy. Uh, that's Dave. There, we introduced ourselves. Mm-hmm. Or each other, really. Okay, I'll check that mark box now. <laughs> Okay, banter, introductions. <laughs> they kind of go together. It's yeah. Like the banter is where the introductions happen. Yeah. So it's banter-ductions. Banter-ductions? I guess. I just... Introduce them and the banter will come. Yeah, intro-banter. No, banter-ductions is better. <laughs> it's more fun to Isn't say. is that when you introduce a band? <laughs> no, bantro. And here, Food for Feed or whatever their name was called. <laughs> <laughs> I remember not liking. I don't know what you're. Jane's Addiction. Oh, the the very first opening band for the Oingo Boingo concert that we both attended and didn't know it. I actually missed most of the opening acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got there as Red Hot Chili Peppers were finishing. Yep. So I think it was Food for Feet, if that was their actual name. Gross. Then uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Didn't care. And then Oingo Boingo. That's what I was there for. Yep. Yeah, the Red Hot Chili Peppers performance was uh, disappointing. Well, it didn't sound good from where we were. Yeah, and I I actually kind of dug them at the time. And they were high energy and everything. It's not like they are purposely putting on a bad show or anything. It just got there and was like, eh, this must have been the sound system or something. Because it just, it was disappointing. Are you sure it was the sound system? Or maybe they're just not that good without studio enhancements. Um... I never cared for them. 
Now Primus, Primus opening for Jane's Addiction. That was a concert. Except wherever we went, people were lighting up. <sighs> so it's like, okay, I'm like 17. I don't need smoke all around me here. Yeah, you, I, it makes me sick after a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So, but I was not at that concert. Nope. Anyway. And I kept having to ask Brett, who I went to the concert with, who was that opening band again? It was Primus. Okay, because it was before Primus really took off. And now I think more people are familiar with Primus than they are with James Addiction, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. Man, I just oh. remember the bass really being cool because of Les Claypool. Les Claypool. Such a great name, Les Claypool. Yep. We, we need more rock pools and less clay pools. <laughs> Old Simpsons joke. Uh, I was about to say, and should that be the banter? And then that would be a stamp on us having actually done banter. Banter over. Banter over. End of banter. No. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to do your computer voice, aren't you? If you're not, then I will. Beginning news and reviews. Dun, 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 dun. News and reviews. We don't have much. Nah. I mean, do we really have anything in news that's newsworthy? Uh, Katie Lotz is coming to Comic-Con. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah. the uh, black slash white canary. Yeah, Sarah Lance started out in Arrow, moved to DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Yep. I remember seeing her in the horror movie The Pat before mm. she was ever on Arrow. Right. And I was impressed by her then. And so when she showed up on Arrow, I'm like, I've seen you somewhere. Mm. She's one of those actresses that you get the impression maybe she started as a stunt woman and then mm. moved into acting. It's possible. I haven't really read her background. Yeah, but she seems like she's well qualified for, you know, the combat sequences. Yeah. Because they I often dig her. focus on her in particular for fight scenes. Yep. I dig her. Yeah. I think she's groovy. So that's cool that she'll be at the Salt Lake Comic Con. I know it's San Diego Comic Con right now, which is kind of odd <laughs> to see the updates pop up on your Twitter feed. And then on the other side is like news of the world. And you're going, I can't look at these things at the same time. It's like having your feet in two alternate dimensions. Yeah. Well, it's San Diego Comic Con is just so big. Yes. It's like too big. I mean, it's spread out over the city at this point. You have to go this place for this panel and this building across town for this panel. And, well, you know, I've never actually been there. But it sounds like there are a fuckload of other places you have to go that are not the convention center. Yeah, and then they have outdoor events like if they do a Walking Dead thing. Like they have events that are particularly outside for you to do. Why would you want to do that in July? Yeah, which we've had at Salt Lake Comic Con too, like when we had that giant inflatable slide thing they had. Yeah, but we do it in normal times <laughs> of year, like September, uh, yep. when it's not 100 degrees. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, San Diego Comic Con, you can't stop me from calling it Salt Lake <laughs> Comic Con, and you never, ever will, because I'm not legally bound to call it that. What's the official name now? Fanex Salt, Salt Lake Comic Convention. Okay. So they can call it a comics convention. They just can't shorten it to Comic Con. They Honestly, they actually can. And if anyone did any research into it, they would find that San Diego Comic Con does not own all iterations of Comic Con. Right. 
they only have a trademark for the word comic hyphen con mm-hmm. which which they, Salt Lake Comic Con doesn't do anyway yeah but the the point is is that you shouldn't be able to trademark a descriptive right that's like me saying I'm going to trademark the words black car and no one can ever say black car without paying me money or gas station mm-hmm convenience store yeah though i guess because it's shortened if you called it a con store or something like that even so that's still weird it's all weird anyway so um, what was our news thing well that was our news thing that white canary is coming to salt lake yes excited about that uh there's still about seven weeks before uh salt lake comic con and I imagine they're going to ramp up some really big announcements over yeah, the next few they've weeks. They've already had quite a few. I mean, David Tennant was a really big reveal. Yeah, well, there's there's other things that have been big things. Th- things that are more attractive to other people than they are to me. Yeah. and Which is fine. That's the great thing about Comic-Con is that there's something mm-hmm. for everyone. So. Yep. Anytime there's a Walking Dead thing. Yeah. You know, usually that gets a draw. Yeah. I just don't care. Yeah. I wanted to care. <laughs> Tried to care. Yeah. Didn't care. Didn't care. Uh, Man, we're not so, the only ones, so. Yeah, yeah, there was so much not caring. <laughs> Anyone who likes The Walking Dead, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine for me to not like it and you to like it. I'm not uh, going to bash it to you. I'm not going to try to change your mind. Let's just agree to disagree and move on because mm-hmm. there are bigger problems in this world than agreeing about fictional characters. Well... Look at liking uh, Star Trek Discovery. There's so many people against it, but it's like, I really enjoyed that series. It might be my favorite Star Trek series, so yeah. there you go. It's uh, it's There's some massive gatekeeping going on over Discovery, mm-hmm. um, because basically all the old school fans think that they know what Star Trek is, and so... <laughs> They're like, no, if you like Star Trek Discovery, you're not a real fan. Uh, no, that's not how this yeah, works, Yeah, you don't get guys. to determine who's a real fan of something. If you enjoy a series, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes you a fan. Yeah. That's how that works. And this is part of the Star Trek universe. Now, you don't have to like it. Nope. But people who do like something that you don't like, that doesn't make them not a Star Trek mm-hmm. fan. You don't get to decide what makes a Star Trek fan. Yep. If you like Star Trek in any incarnation, you are a Star Trek fan. What's well, all the End people story. that didn't like Next Generation for a similar it, reason? This oh, this isn't with, a continuation of Kirk and everybody else, so it's not Star Trek. It This happens with every iteration. Mm-hmm. But Discovery is the first one to debut in a time of social media, and so the backlash is instant and far more severe. Yep. And I have never seen quite as much vitriol in the Star Trek community as I have in the age of uh, social media. How awesome would it be if Anthony Rapp came to Salt Lake? I've begged him already. Uh, (laughs) He said, please come to Salt Lake for a convention. Because when it was announced that he was going to be at Star Trek Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. I just lost my shit. I was so wishing that I could go. But the thing is, A, can't take the time off. Right. Because uh, I don't have a lot of paid time off. B, can't afford the travel. C, can't afford the hotel. And then there's affording the convention on top of that and food on top of that. I just can't yeah. do that it's when I've already committed to Salt Lake Comic Con. Right. So, which I was committed to. We're always committed to. We've not missed one of them. No, we haven't. Even when I was dying of pneumonia, I didn't miss that one. Yeah. 
So, that one we did a lot of sitting, if I recall. Uh, we did do a lot of sitting because I would walk five steps and couldn't breathe. I, I did say, I commented to him, uh, hey, we do a great con here in Salt Lake. We're really nice to to our celebrities. <laughs> Swing by sometime, please. And he liked that. Mm-hmm. He gave me a like on that. So you never know. You never know. You never know. Oh, we've had several guests that were surprising. It's like, oh. Look who's coming to Salt Lake Comic Con. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of... Oh, yeah. Batflex coming. Yeah, that completely didn't interest me. And that was one of their big reportings, too. It's like, hey, a Batman's coming. Hey, like, well, you know what? A lot of who people... Cares? A lot of people are excited about it. <laughs> it's like, They're... make it Kevin Conroy, and then I'll care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's my penultimate Batman. He's a good Batman. Mark Gagliardi would be good, too. Especially if he came with Hal. I would take, I would, I would wet my pants over Mark and Hal. Any thrilling adventure hour people would be cool. Yes, anyone, anyone. Well, John DiMaggio's coming. That's cool. That's one thrilling adventure hour person. Captain Laserbeam. That's the thing to do is, do you have any pictures of you doing Captain Laserbeam? And then we'll get that autographed. That would be lovely. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, that's, that's coming. Uh, We had a performance. We did have a performance. We can talk about that. Talent Salad had their final show and also their year anniversary. They might come back. It's kind of unclear. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> well, it's it's hard to say. Um, the, just Chelsea's and Danielle's lives have gotten extremely busy with many things. Oh, and yeah, so... especially with Danielle getting married because yeah. that's going to alter things quite a bit. And, uh, and Chelsea with her full-time job at the library and mm-hmm. also her... Uh, creative side uh, business taking off. Oh, yeah. She's doing art now, and she's going to be in, what, the Salt Lake? Salt Craft City. Craft City. And her, one of her designs has been chosen for this tote that they give out. So Yeah. There, there are only a small number of artists that are invited to make submissions. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that they choose the bat. Yeah, because she does a bat and a cat, and they're both great. Well, she submitted both for a yeah. choice. But I love I love them both. Mm-hmm. I just really want the bat. The bat. The bat the is bat. the sticker that's on my laptop right now. And I'll have a pillow with the bat on. Yes. And a small journal with the bat on. Yes. The, I love the bat. So no wonder you'd want the bat because that would add to your collection of bat I do, material. I, really, I just love Chelsea's stuff. So. Yeah. So. so yeah, I, it's understandable why that would be the last show because they're just so busy. Mm-hmm. And then with... She and Chris working on the comic, comic book. book. So, yeah, her creative endeavors and playing D&D with us when they've got a free Wednesday. <laughs> well, they make time. The yep. The only reason we couldn't play this past Wednesday is because Talent Salad. Yep. So, so, yeah, our improv incarnation, Brave and Dandy, made a appearance for about ten minutes. Yes, we did. We managed to squeeze in three scenes. Mm-hmm. Got some laughs. Got some applause breaks. Seemed to do really well for ourselves. Yeah. So that was encouraging. Yeah, it went Considering well. we hadn't done improv for a while. Yeah. Though I guess when we did our movie pitch, there was some improvisation there, but not like scene work or anything. It was more just no. off-the-cuff discussion stuff. Yeah. So it was still creative, but yeah, to do scene work, that's a whole other thing. And since that's kind of my improv weakness. <laughs> yeah, but when you're with me... Yeah, I can trust you implicitly. So it's like, okay, I know if whatever I do, Brandy's going to be on board. So we'll just do that. <laughs> and we had three great scenes. Yeah. We had one at Sephora. 
or as a husband, and we were talking about makeup and why you have to buy makeup. Why you have to buy quality things. There are mm-hmm. some things you can't skimp on quality, and there yep. are other things you don't have to get the highest end stuff. But with foundation, mm-hmm. you got to get good quality foundation because that's the base of all of it. And see, that's where we found the game is that if you don't find quality foundation, then you basically have a crap face. And so I took offense <laughs> at that because I didn't use foundation, and therefore I had a crap face. And that became our game. Is yeah. like I had this this weak ego kind of thing going on. Yeah, it was so fun, and I kept trying to explain it in different ways. And you're like, "Yeah, but what I'm hearing right. that might be what you said, but what I hear is this: <laughs> you're telling me I have a crap face because I'm not using makeup." Which the funny thing is, is that that's something actually a man would do: mm-hmm. is say these certain things, and then a, a woman would be like, "Are you saying this?" <laughs> Um, Turning whereas, everything around and inside out. Whereas generally, mm-hmm. generally, a man and a woman who have known each other for a long time, such as we, I should be able to say something like that to you, and then you would just say, oh, I understand, and yep. not and assume that I was digging at you. Yeah, attacking me. So but we had to make some kind of pressure in the scene. Uh, no, and it was mm-hmm. funny. It was really funny. And, and then finally yeah. I just I was like, okay, fine, let's pick out a foundation. Which is the only way to resolve that scene yeah. in, in a satisfying manner. Yeah, and it we had had that uh, pressure go on long enough that I mm-hmm. knew it was time for one of us to acquiesce, and I knew it had to be me. Yep. Follow-up scene, we were scientists <laughs> in a laboratory, and we were working on a foundation because <laughs> I wanted to tie in and saw an opportunity. So let's link this to the first scene. Yep. That'll work. And uh, you're like, okay, what... I was saying that I was in a Sephora, and you're like, why were you in a Sephora? And that became a whole thing about uh, having romance outside of work, and that I wanted us to reveal more about each other to each other to be better partners in the laboratory. And I did not want that at all. No, you were like, I'm going to compartmentalize her relationship. I, <laughs> it's like, well, I... we're work friends, and that's it. My, my character was really weirded out that you would give women makeup. That is a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. And also kind of insulting. <laughs> because it's like, oh, you don't look very good. Here, try this. <laughs> it's just, you men don't buy makeup for women. Because women know what they like. Mm-hmm. And but if you know the woman well enough to know what makeup she likes, then you can buy that for her. Yes, still no. be an insult? I don't know that it would necessarily be an insult, but it would be weird. Oh. It's it, You just don't give women stuff like that as a gift. <laughs> it's it's funny weird. Because you ended up being very pedantic, in, especially about <laughs> the use of words and stuff, because I'd stumble over a couple of words every once in a while. Yes, like compartmentalize. <laughs> yeah, because I really stumbled across that one. Departmentalize? You know, not compartmentalize. Ah, right. And it became a whole thing about the you and your with the apostrophe. Yes. Which gave me a great way to end the scene. <laughs> it's like your being pedantic with an apostrophe. Yeah. So that was a sweet way to end. And our final one was in the hot tub. <laughs> yeah, where I was trying to get it on and you were just talking about all the bacteria living in there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no way am I going to be having sex in a hot tub. There's well, all this stuff growing in here. It's a Petri dish. Well, apparently you couldn't have anyway, because I don't know what happened to your junk, but... <laughs> you're, you're like, can't anything get inside your body downstairs? I was like, not right now. 
when they just ended the scene there and just let everybody wonder what that meant. Yeah, I'm still wondering what that meant. It's like, is he wearing a condom? What's going on down there? Yeah, that's the thing. I still have no idea what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> and I, that's okay. I don't need to know. Nope. I don't need to know. Just the uh, wonder of imagination. Yep. We had a magician there. We had a couple of poets. We had some singers. Some stand-up comedians. Yes, few stand-up comedians yes very cool a lot of fun yeah nine acts so it was about what 10 it was after, after just after 10 just after when the 10. show ended but yes. it was still about 10 15 or 10 20 before we got out of there yeah because yeah. we wanted to talk and we we're talking to chelsea about dungeons and dragons because she's been running a campaign for some friends of hers she ran one session yep. one session but they all want more. Really left of what she had planned. And so, yeah, it's like, you're a dungeon master. You gotta just kind of be up for anything. Well, yeah. And she, the, the thing is, though, is that someone can tell you that. But mm. until you're experiencing it, you don't really know. <laughs> yep. And so now she's had that experience. And she's going to be better at adapting the next time mm-hmm. they throw a wrench into her story. <laughs> because that's what players do Mm -hmm. and as most of the time if they're a good group they're not trying to be dicks nope they're just thinking outside the box and so you kind of have to have you know a little something something in your back pocket when you for every npc you create you're like okay now what would be the situation if they decide they want to kill this person Mm -hmm. or you know etc what's the what are the consequences if they kill this person versus killing this person (laughs) and basically you could really over plan but you just got to have a loose idea of what could happen and just have you know stuff to pull out of the pocket and go oh uh, so you want to fight this person that i wasn't (laughs) planning on you having anything more to do with because they gave you the quest but okay um they have um they have 79 hit points um anyway well it's Something happened kind of recently in one of our D&D scenarios is when uh, our sorcerer was getting components for some ritual spells and the likes, and he wanted these glass eyes, (laughs) and he couldn't find any, so he went to a jeweler's to get them handmade, and our sorcerer, he's a 10-year-old in a 40-year-old's body. He's basically Mr. Mr. Bean. Bean. That's what he's based the character on. So he's really a goofball and very childish and can be quite obstinate at times. Uh, or clueless. Or clueless. As and, the case may be. And he has this stuffed teddy bear that's his spell focus. And it's actually an artifact that's developing as his power grows. So he's basically creating an artifact by using the bear and going up levels. And it has this side effect where if he rolls a one on a charisma check, the person he's talking to automatically takes offense. Mm. And he happened to roll a one. And this guy Mm. was like, get out of my shop right now. Mm. Because he was asking for black eyeballs, just pure black eyeballs. And he's like, that's not an eyeball. That's a black marble. (laughs) And it got this huge argument. (laughs) Now the wow me. The warlock's trying to get something secretly from this jeweler. And meanwhile, his girlfriend, you know, Essa, the... His baby mama. Captain, yeah, who's pregnant, is going, what are you doing here? And he's trying to lie about it. And I'm, she's not, like, I'm not getting anything for you. I'm not buying anything you're saying. I, I'm not, I'm not, this, is, this isn't for you. I'm not here for you. So this poor NPC jeweler is just witnessing all this in his shop. He's going, what is with you people? 
And I wasn't there. Yeah, meanwhile, uh, our two characters were off skinny dipping on yeah. the shores of uh, this lake sky. Yep, while uh, the dog and the raven were playing tag. I don't yep. know. Yep, guarding our clothing and armor, probably. <laughs> yeah, and I, equipment. I'm, I'm pretty sure Phaedra would want to have a swim. And then she would get out of the water and shake really hard. Yeah, I could see Severin, our raven, doing and that as well. lay down in the sun to dry. It's funny because they're both awakened creatures so they can speak common. And mm-hmm. so they talk to each other while we're off so what's gallivanting. It like being, what's it like being a raven? <laughs> well, I can fly. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems like really free. Or actually do his voice, which is kind of like this. And he's kind of crude. It's like when he told some guards, hey, you fucker, <laughs> over here. <laughs> Because he can mimic people, too, so... Yeah. And throw voices, make sounds. Ravens have that ability. Yeah. Need to use that more often. Definitely. Use Severin to mimic people's voices. That'd be fun. Yep. And then there's Phaedra. You just what you see, what's, what you get. Yep. <laughs> She's very polite and it's kind of cultivated for a wolf. Yeah, well. Which is very cool. Likes to call you mistress. Yeah. She's a, she's my good girl. Yeah, she's a good girl. She's been with us for a long time since third level. Yeah. I mean, we're ninth level now, so. Ooh, and I didn't think we were going to end up talking about our D&D. Well, we started talking about Chelsea and then yeah, that, that dovetailed. That just led into our thing where right now we're outside of the main country that we are nine kingdoms where we usually have our adventures and to an eastern nation. Yeah. Dealing with a possible vampire. Yeah, well, we're still in the middle of a fight with some hellhounds. Oh, yeah, those are vicious. Neeb went down. Well, Neeb will learn not to let multiple enemies have an opportunity <laughs> attack in the future, won't he? Yeah, because he could have cast shield, and instead he wanted to do this other thing. And, and it so did not go in his when favor. When he went to cast the spell, instead of casting shield as a reaction to being attacked, he wanted to do this other thing, and that left him open to an opportunity of attack and... That gave uh, about three hellhounds attempts to attack him. They all have that pact thing, mm-hmm. which I probably shouldn't have used because I forgot he had the cloak of displacement on. So they probably shouldn't have had advantage when they attacked him, but it's still kind of funny that he went down. Yeah, well, Essa saves the day again. She's always doing that. She's always around the guy who dies. Okay, <laughs> she's done that twice. No, three times. Three times. Three times. Never with me, though. Nope, because you're always off being the ranger. You're yeah. telling me that you want to move more. Yeah. Which will make it even less likely because you you tend to be faster than whatever creature mm-hmm. you're fighting because you're a wood elf. You got that 35 uh, foot movement and being a ranger, you are not slowed by difficult terrain. You can fire arrows at somebody and go run off into the woods and they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see her. I can't see her. She was right there. Even if we pursue her, we're going to get like, maybe half the distance towards her. Mm-hmm. And then you can just shoot at them. Yeah. It's <laughs> even a... in thick brush because your accuracy is so high, even at disadvantage, you're probably still hit. Probably right. Mm-hmm. I do have that lovely right, plus, plus 13, 13 to hit. Yeah, if you roll twice to take the lower, you're probably still going to hit their armor class. Yep. And then if you get that, what is it, elven accuracy, which is a race-specific feat, I think it adds another bonus to ranged attacks. Crazy. Yeah. And then there's sharpshooter, which can break the game from what I've heard. Nah, I don't want it. No. Nope. Don't need I it. I think you take, you take a penalty to your shot and get a plus 10 damage. No. Which is kind of ridiculous if no, you think about no, it. No, I do not need, I don't want that. Yeah, you already have Hunter's Mark, which adds enough damage. Yeah. To be honest with you. So that's a little D&D talk. 
Yeah. So re- review. Yeah. Oh yeah, Ant Man and the Wasp. Ant Man. Ant Man. Ant Man. I think you enjoyed it more than I did. I had a smile on my face a lot of times, but I don't remember laughing out loud at anything. I think it had something to do with the crowd we were with. Yeah, it was a quiet crowd for one thing. Because I saw it again last night uh-huh. with Aaron, my brother from another mother, <laughs> and it was a really responsive crowd. Oh, that's And I cool. was laughing out loud mm-hmm. a lot, and I'd seen it before. I'm having a drink. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> Paul Rudd's always entertaining, though. It felt... It felt a lot like it was the Wasp movie, which isn't a bad thing. No, because she's really his equal. Yeah. If not his better. (laughs) So it really should have been the Wasp and the (laughs) Ant-Man. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think she was more featured and more necessary to the plot. Uh, I could have used a bit more development with Ghost. It kind of felt a bit rushed and crammed in. I think if they even told the story from her perspective... They, maybe they did. They did a bit. I mean, they, there's. They, she told her whole story. Yeah, but it was more like a like a information dump kind of exposition. There thing. was a flashback. Yeah, I guess that's true. But if we got to like like make a mystery out of it to discover who she was as as it went on in a in a more storytelling kind of fashion. She sure was striking. The yes. Actress. Yes, very exotic. She just uh yeah those eyes yep and I like the effect of her going out of phase too. It is super creepy, especially when you've seen the movie once already and you can pay attention more to it mm-hmm. when you're watching it the second time because there are, there are always things you miss and I think I enjoyed it even more the second time because there were things that I picked up on that I didn't the first go around. Yeah, and a lot of it is her phasing and how fucking creepy it is it's creepy and you can tell that she's in pain just it was it's it was done really well i think what'd you think of the quantum realm you know it's the quantum realm (laughs) we're just extrapolating we don't know what it really looks like because when you get down into quarks and weird stuff like that it's like who knows what that is yeah i did find it amusing that there were tardigrades yeah and they were gonna attack the ship well, they thought it was food. Yep. It's like, ooh, what's this? It moves. Let's eat <laughs> yeah. it. They weren't being mean, but, you know, they'll eat you. I like the building that would shrink down. That was a great <laughs> MacGuffin. The Ant-Man movies are always a bit smaller in scale than, which is kind of funny pun if you think about it, <laughs> as to the other Marvel movies, which is kind of nice. You know, it's a, it's a breather away from the whole weight of the world situation, you know, like the battling Thanos thing. It's like, let's make this about family which tends to be what ant man and the wasp is all about yeah the first one being all about fatherhood and this one about more about daughters you know how important daughters can be mm. and then you know attaching to your mother the being stuck in the quantum realm and going and saving her oh spoiler i think people have seen it by now or know the plot anyway <laughs> you'd hope yeah <laughs> I did a 602 Club episode about it, mm-hmm. uh, number 180, for anyone who's interested. I'm pretty sure it was 180. Some interesting things came up in that, like the fact that there's no true villain in this yep. particular movie, which there's no true villain as a person, but there is a villain and it's selfishness. Right. The uh, desire to recover from this phasing thing by stealing all the quantum energy from the mother character well not just that it's not just that it's hank's selfishness Uh at not wanting to share his success with anyone else 
and pushing everybody who had an ounce of talent away from him so that he could take credit for everything. And then Scott with the whole Civil War thing and not including others in that. Yeah, not including Hank and Hope in that decision. And not destroying or hiding the suit, Mm -hmm. but actually having it very prominent in an airfield battle. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the selfishness pop up for that. Well, and I think they were, I don't know what they were trying to do with Hank, but I feel like they were touching on his darker side from the comics. Yeah, well, they addressed that in the first one, too. He has anger management issues. He has control issues. But they really doubled down that anybody who disagrees with him Mm -hmm. gets fired. And Luis even says to him when they come to the office of (laughs) X-Con. I love that name. I've heard that joke before, oddly enough. I can't remember where. But it's like, like a security company operated by former convicts. Yeah, which uh, basically, who's who else would you trust? I mean, yep. who who should you think would know the most about these things but former thieves? Yeah, so. wasn't there a series called To Catch a Thief, which was all about that? That yeah. you'd get this professional criminal get to catch other criminals. But Luis even says, yeah, sounds like that happens a lot when he, Hank is mm. talking about how they're not going to go see Bill Foster because blah, blah, blah. Yep. And yeah, and Luis picks up on that immediately. Mm-hmm. And it, it isn't really tagged again in the film. And it doesn't really need to be because he puts it out there. And now from that point on, you're thinking about that every time he interacts with somebody or tells some story about his past. Oh, this person stole my work, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. We don't know that that's actually how it happened because Hank can rewrite history however he wants, especially when the person he's talking about is dead. Yeah, he likes to claim credit a lot. And Mm -hmm. how often was it actually his work? Mm. Mm. Makes you wonder about uh, Tony's father, too. You know, mm-hmm. It's like, was there something behind the Russians that developed the arc reactor and stuff? It's like, was that really their tech and he stole it? Mm-hmm. And then got him deported and said that he was selling secrets to the Russians? Was he really? Who knows? We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Because uh, history is written by the winners. And just knowing Hank's history in the comics, I would not put it past the Marvel team to bring that into the movies, not maybe at the same degree as it was in the comics, because he was a raving lunatic right. at some times. Yeah, I'm going to create this uh, android that's going to fight the Deven- uh, the Avengers, and uh, I'm the only one who can defeat it, because it'll just keep going until I do this special thing, and then I'll look like a hero again. <laughs> Seriously! Yep, and then <laughs> that android goes rogue and he, even hank can't defeat it so no that's that oh, that's that something never, else yeah anyway. okay wasn't that ultron <laughs> uh, no that wasn't ultron All this right. came after ultron no ultron so became... after ultron he did that does the man never learn from his lessons no he does not oh then he does that's, not that's interesting because the tony stark of the marvel cinematic universe is a lot more like hank pym than hank pym is in a mm. way because how often does tony not learn from his mistakes Hank doesn't learn from his either. And you're starting to see that in Mm -hmm. this film. You're starting to see that recurring thing where everybody's wrong but Hank. And you know that that can't be true. Right. So that's why he needs Janet there to balance him. I remember something I was going to say. It reminded me a little bit of Iron Man 3 
because Ant-Man had a suit that wouldn't work properly. So it was like having Ant-Man not be Ant-Man or be only like half Ant-Man. I mean, I did open it up for some wonderful gags, like when he'd be half size and he was in the school. Yes, that is so great. Him hopping down the stairs Uh outside and then climbing up into the van. Which twists your brain because proportionally he's not shaped like a child. He's still Mm -hmm. shaped like an adult male, just half his size. And it kind of twists your brain a little bit like, okay, that... That's the size of a kid, but it's not the shape of a kid. My brain's breaking. I know, but it, that's because it was so well done. Yep. It was so well done. And the visual effects team really <laughs> did a great job on that. When he got super, super big and that would drain his energy. And mm-hmm. so he'd get super sleepy too. There's one little thing that I noticed this time around that really just made me smile. Mm-hmm. And that's after, um, it's after Scott has made the phone call from the burner phone about the dream that he had about Janet. Right. Not knowing it was Janet, but thinking it was Janet, feeling like it was Janet. And uh, then they kidnap him, basically. Mm -hmm. They take him into the lab, and ants have been enlarged to help with the construction of this quantum tunnel. And Scott's just kind of standing there in his bathrobe and shorts and (laughs) t-shirt and sandal flip-flops. And one of the big ants comes by, you know, and it just... It on its way, it kind of rubs against him like a cat rubbing uh, against yeah. your leg, like hi, buddy, and then goes on his way to do his thing. And I was like, oh. What do you think of the large ants? Well, I thought it made perfect sense for him to enlarge yeah. them to do the work that they were doing. Did you like the way they were executed? Yeah. Okay, I had a hard time with that too. Just probably just my brain not quite accepting it. Well, I, you know, they introduced us to that in the first film yeah, they, at the end with yeah. the giant ant that yeah. basically became a pet. Yes. It was fun because, yes, they were still, they were giant ants and they were being given commands. Take those commands away and they still act like ants or, or kind of like large dogs just trying to knock stuff over to see what happens, mm-hmm. you know. So I just saw them as large dogs, really. They're pretty, uh effective laborers that's for sure oh yeah 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 it sounds like i was kind of down on it but it's about in the middle i think for me you know it's not going to be one of my top marvel films but it's certainly not like a thor the dark world kind of film you know? i think if you saw it again you would enjoy it yeah it would probably more. improve it's always the first time you watch it you're more engaged in the story and trying to determine where the story's going so when you can return to it, it's like, okay, I already know where this is going and I can enjoy it better. Which, again, I should probably watch rewatch The Last Jedi at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, we can watch it <laughs> See together. See if that improves on a second viewing, as I've heard it has for several people. Yeah. Because, yeah, I was really right in the middle with The Last Jedi too. There's things I like, there's things I don't like, and that's fine. You know, yeah, a movie of course is a movie. That's fine. It's like, yeah, I really like certain things. I like the crystal creatures, for one thing. The crystal foxes. Oh, yes. Yep. There's a cat climbing all over me. Hi, buddy. And I liked Rose as a new character. I thought she was a great introduction. I just wish they did more with her. Yeah, well, there are many people who wish that she had never existed. Yeah. And those people are horrible human beings. Yeah, they are. You don't get to bully an actress just because you didn't like her character in a movie. The poor woman has had to leave social media yep. because of their harassment. If you go and change someone's Wikipedia page and change her name to Ching Chong Wing Tong, mm-hmm. you know, that's horrifying. That is it's that is beyond horrifying. fucking racist. And to consider how much of Star Wars is based in Asian culture, mm-hmm. 
that the first it's Star Wars in itself film. is a samurai film. Yes. Yeah. It's what? The Hidden Fortress? Mm hmm. It's basically that story being retold. With Flash Gordon names. Yeah. Because <laughs> Lucas is a thief, but there you go. I yeah. mean, all creative people are thieves. That's what you do. It's like, oh, I like this, I like this. I'm going to combine the two of them and create a new thing. That's what creativity is. It's not creating yeah. anything out of whole cloth. It's like, <laughs> you know, just discovering something new and what's already existing. I'm sorry you didn't like the film. That doesn't give you the right to treat other people badly. Mm. That doesn't give you the right to send death threats to directors or writers or yeah. actors. And by God, it doesn't give you the right to verbally and socially harass someone to the point that they have to go into hiding. Yeah, uh, somebody, I think quite a few people have listed the number of people who've been adversely affected by so-called Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. That are supposed to love the product. Mm -hmm. If you love the product so much, why are you hurting all the people that are involved in it? Mm -hmm. Including George Lucas. Yeah. Including J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams read the script for episode 8 mm -hmm. and was sad that he wasn't directing it. Yes. He was, he regretted not being able to direct that, having given it up to do something else. Mm -hmm. So he was really jealous of Ryan Johnson for yep. being able to direct it. Yes, indeed. So there you go. The moral of the story is, you don't own it. Nope. Okay? If you want to change what happened, go write your goddamn fan fiction and leave it at that. You don't get to ruin everybody else's lives because you didn't like the way <laughs> a fictional story played out. Yeah, I don't think we ever really addressed that whole thing about this Twitter account wanting donations to remake The Last Jedi. Oh, for the love of God. And what they were going to do is talk to all the Star Wars fans and come to some agreed upon decision. That's not how art is. You don't go to the least common denominator to find what everybody's going to agree to. And that's what we're going to put in the film. That's not art. No, it's not. And you don't get to go into a museum, say you don't like the Mona Lisa, and you're going to uh, get start a Kickstarter to have it repainted. Yeah. That's not how this <laughs> works. Yeah, you can either accept the thing and like enjoy it for what it is, or not like it, and that's just too bad. And also, guess what? You don't get to decide what makes a Star Wars fan and what... Star Wars fan and what doesn't. Just nope. like you don't get to decide what makes a Star Trek fan and what doesn't. You don't get to decide what makes anyone a fan or what doesn't. Don't be a gatekeeper. <laughs> be a torchbearer. Yes. Yeah, what kind of fan hurts the people involved in the product? A terrible toxic fan. Yeah. And is that fandom? Well, it's fanaticism, I suppose. Well, unfortunately, fan is short for fanatic. Mm -hmm. That's how the word got started. That's why I like connoisseur. Yeah. So... Again, guys, stop being a dick. Don't yuck somebody else's yum. <laughs> Let's just live and let mm. live and move on with our lives because, God, if we focused, <laughs> if, if people like that focused as much energy into real-world problems mm -hmm. as they did into their hatred of The Last Jedi, can you imagine the things that could be accomplished? There you go. Just think about that for a second. It's not going to change any of these toxic people's minds. Yeah. Because their world is small. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the reaction to the new she -Ra? I didn't know there was a new she -Ra. It looks awesome. It looks like if you took the sexism out of Soul Calibur and didn't have all the big boobs. <gasps> it looks like that. It's kind of this nifty Americanized anime kind of style. 
I mean, you could look it up if you want to. All you had to do was say new She-Ra and I'm in. Yeah, a bunch of men are complaining because she's not sexy enough. Guess what? She's not there for you. Yeah, and everybody's saying that. It's like, didn't you guys not like She-Ra to begin with? And now she's not sexy enough with you? Here's an idea. This cartoon that's mostly geared towards young girls is not meant for your perverted ass to stroke off to. Now, what in the fuck is wrong with that? That's awesome. Yeah, she looks cool. And a lot of people are already doing fan art regarding the design of the character. Because it's really nifty. She's not showing any thigh. She's got kind of these shorts on under her skirt. Yeah, well, she actually is showing thigh. Isn't she wearing shorts under the skirt so you don't see skin? Yeah, but I mean, from the shorts down, her legs are still bare, so she's still showing thigh. Okay, well, I mean, it's not like she's wearing a mini skirt or something. You're not going to get panty shots or anything. No. And her outfit when she's not She-Ra is much improved because Adora's outfit was basically a glorified leotard Mm -hmm. with boots. Yeah. It's like completely bare-legged from the hips down. Mm -hmm. It's like, no. That's gross. How do you ride a horse like that? That would hurt. (laughs) You'd be chafing so fucking hard. Oh, it's Netflix. I see. I should have guessed it would be Netflix. Of course. Isn't that, is that what Voltron's on? Yeah. People are fucking weird. Yeah, especially weird, perverted men that think they should get off to cartoons. Yeah, I do not understand that at all. Why? Why is this the world we live in? <laughs> we we haven't progressed at all. It's getting better and worse at the same time, which is really weird. And I think that's the divisiveness in this nation is people clinging to toxic masculinity and others wanting to eschew that. Mm. And actually evolve and get to that Star Trek future. Well, apparently, um, Twitter and the original creator of She-Ra came out to the defense of the showrunner. And uh, apparently the showrunner is a queer woman, and so they're attacking her for that, too. Uh, Of course they are, because they're children. Some male fans of the original, less utilitarian-appearing She-Ra took to Twitter to bemoan the loss of her, quote, womanhood, unquote. Go fuck yourselves. Yep. Um, actually, you, you don't get to decide what a woman is. Yeah. For one thing. Yeah. Just men do not get to decide what a woman is and what a womanhood represents. That age is over. Mm. Women can decide for themselves what their womanhood is. This oh, this is my favorite idiot. It's a Twitter account called Diversity in Comics. Uh huh. And says thusly: Boyish lesbian reimagines Shira as a boyish lesbian. The utter selfishness and egotism of this is astounding. Oh, wow, did you miss the point? Mm-hmm. And this is somebody who's called diversity in comics? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't say anti-diversity in comics? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think that person should be fired from that account if it is a actual, like, magazine kind of thing. Oh, J. Michael Straczynski jumped in. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. Strap in, kids. Strap <laughs> in, okay? Sorry, we just, we're adding this to the whole ratings and review but i didn't know about any of this until just now yeah i just informed her of this so you're getting rage brandy yeah okay j michael straczynski here Uh there's a whole thread here as the guy who co-created the character of she-ra and her universe alongside larry Dottillo, though mattel named her a few thoughts note i am in no way connected with the current show so i'm speaking both as an outsider to what is and an insider to what was intended Uh, We never considered or wrote for She-Ra as the ideal woman. I don't think that phrase appeared anywhere in the Bible we wrote. We certainly never in our discussions. 
we spoke and wrote of and considered her a warrior first and foremost. So I think anyone who is looking back at Shira or Adora as the ideal woman is doing so through the lens of prepubescent, <laughs> since it was aimed at kids' interest, and kind of understandably imprinted on her like baby ducks. I get it, but that wasn't the creative intent. <laughs> to the whole idealized person discussion, I would add that there is a significant distinction to be made in terms of how a character like She-Ra is discussed or seen versus how male characters are seen in both, show, in, both in shows like this and in superhero books in general. Yes, male characters tend to be idealized in form and proportion, but female characters tend to be objectified. There is a profound difference between those two, and failing to perceive that distinction is pernicious. That is why you'll rarely see a male superhero without pants. By that, I don't mean naked. I mean without leggings of some kind. But that's absolutely the rule for female characters. I say this as the guy who put Wonder Woman in pants during his run, because seriously, <laughs> it's hard to fight otherwise. No leg hair for guy heroes. <laughs> anyway, just wanted to add some possible clarity to the discussion. If you're looking for writers to create your ideal woman, that wasn't the intent, this ain't it, and we don't know you well enough to guess. And be aware that that idealization does not equal objectification. That perspective is something I've always tried to bring to bear in my work. So from co-creating Shira's personality to Delenn, Ivanova, Lita, and others on Babylon 5, all the way to Riley, Sun, Kayla, Nomi, and Amanita on Sensei. It's all about strength, smarts, and wit. There you go. My hat off to you, sir. From a co-creator of the character. Of the original Shira. I forget how many things he's been involved in. He's been involved in everything. Just everything has J. Mm. Michael Straczynski somewhere in it. Yep. He's been in everything. I think he has a time turner. Probably, (laughs) because I think he was involved in a run on the Hulk. I think he was involved in a run on the... on Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's been dipping his toes in all kinds of things, Mr. Babylon 5. Respect, man. Mm-hmm. That is exactly the right response to this whole mess. Is <laughs> You don't get to decide what she is. Oh, and still there's this really positive response to the character design as well. Oh, yes. Yes. And I've seen that especially with women. It says, yes, this is what we want. Mm-hmm. We want her represented as this warrior character. Yeah. She looks great. And I'd have to agree. She looks great. She does indeed. And she has this very Greek look to her. She does, yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, even a sword kind of looks like a gladius a little bit. Mm, indeed. Except, no, that's that's a Roman blade. What am I yeah. thinking of? A hoplite, I think it's called. Okay. I forget the name of the Greek sword. It doesn't matter. A Greek short sword. Yeah. For kind the of, honor of Grayskull. Yeah, it has kind of a leaf-like, um, like it goes broader towards the tip. Mm-hmm. What should give you a better weight on swinging that sucker? <laughs> Bronze Age shit. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? You want to get into our new segment? Yes, let's get into the new segment. Okay, we're introducing a new segment, a little bit of comics corner, because Brandy's been collecting a lot of comics these days. <laughs> so she's going to, I guess, recommend something? Yes, I'm going to recommend something. So... I forgot that I had the variant cover of this a while back, not a super long while back, but months ago it was announced that Brian Michael Bendis was hopping on over to DC to do a lot of stuff. And there, once again, toxic <laughs> fandom, people who were DC fans saying, ha ha, we stole your best writer and all this shit. And oh my God. Writer switch back and forth all, all the, the time. fucking time. All the time. 
Oh, that's what freelance writing's all about. It used, it's it's been this way ever since comics started. It's been from the from the get go. They've been going back and forth. Just just go look up Len Wein and see how many times he's been mm-hmm. back and forth. I mean, God, guys. The guy that created the X Men essentially. Yeah. The guy that made Wolverine. Jeez, get over it. <sighs> so anyway, I I was glad for him because. Obviously, he had more things that he wanted to do and new things he wanted to do. And so he wanted a new challenge. So he just jumped right in with both feet (laughs) and started writing for Superman. Nice. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I really need to give this big guy a chance. So, yes, Brian Michael Bendis was the impetus for me to try a a new Superman comic. Mm -hmm. But that is not the only reason why I am enjoying it. So... Oh, good. This new series is the ongoing series. Started with issue number one that just came out this month. Right. And it does pick up where a mini series that Brian Michael Bendis wrote uh, leaves off. I'm not going to go over the plot because <laughs> it will make your brain melt. Well, yeah, we are dealing with DC Comics. Yes. And I, the funny thing is I haven't read. I have that mini series, but I haven't read it yet. Ah. I, but I just read this one. <laughs> so, like, there's things that happen before this that are weirdly twisty, strangely wet. Yes. It's like Flashpoint or something. Uh, something like that. So, yeah, basically, it's uh, Superman issue one by Brian Michael Bendis. And I just really love the voice that he gave the characters, especially Superman. Yeah, you were telling me that he's added some sense of humor to the character, which is, you expect, you get that a little bit from the from the early movies that he... He can kind of laugh at himself a little bit. Oh, you go ahead and open it. We can hear the noises of yeah. you opening the comic. There's just one thing in particular that just really made me smile. Yeah, you did have an issue with the texture of the pages. Yeah, I don't like how the pages feel because they feel like rough paper and yet they have this sort of matte gloss on them. I know that that sounds like good. It's like weird texturing to give it the feel of, of actual, an old comic like, book without it being print. Old. Yeah, but I just don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't care for it. But there's this whole sequence in the middle of the story where Martian Manhunter is talking to Superman and they're having this conversation. He's like, okay, I'm I'm sorry. Can you hold that thought? And he goes off to save somebody or fight something. And then he comes back and they, and and John's talking more and he's like, I'm really sorry. Could you just hold that thought again? (laughs) And he goes off and fights something and saves somebody comes back and they talk more <laughs> and he's like I'm so sorry this keeps happening I just I and and Jean's like I can help with some of these you know and he's like no this this one had fire okay this one had fire so <laughs> it's just um but this was this is my favorite panel in the whole thing uh Jean says I also wanted to present you with an idea and Superman goes oh okay I like ideas and he says the world needs you and Superman like Okay. <laughs> I kind of already knew that. <laughs> okay. It's just like... Um, and? Yeah. And then it was another... Um, he's, and uh, Jean says, but what does the... And he says, I'm so sorry, Jean. You, no, I can't just hold that thought. And goes and... And he's like, uh, the world needs what? <laughs> it, just, oh, it just made me smile. And... It's, it's like how it really would be just trying to have a conversation mm-hmm. with Superman, <laughs> which he'd hear something and be like, I gotta go save these people. So I just really like, appreciate the this time. 
I really appreciate that voice. Yep. And I like the way that Superman is drawn, although I still think that they always draw him too big. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Is that, okay, so it's the yellow sun that makes him strong. Mm-hmm. So how did he develop muscles? Because yeah. you would need resistance to work out your muscles to develop bulk, which he wouldn't really do because he'd just be naturally strong. Yep. He could be a wirely little 110-pound person. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for him to have these muscles. But it's just the original design of the character. They wanted to make him look like a circus strongman. Yeah. Which is why the underwear on the outside design was to mimic that look of those, you know, P.T. Barnum strongman type characters. Yeah, that that just hasn't died. No. Um, It's just, it's built into his character type, you know, his his origins yeah but seriously how would he have gotten those muscles was he bench pressing other planets yeah you would think it's like i'm gonna see if i can move this planet out of its orbit oh wow i can really feel that in my quads Mm -hmm. oh and there's a new fortress of solitude because the previous fortress of solitude got blown up basically Uh, maybe he has a gym at the fortress of solitude that has some kind of technology where it would reduce his power somewhat, and so he could build muscle mass. That could be it, because they had stuff like that on Krypton. And therefore, when he is fighting some critter that's more powerful, he can rely on those muscles rather than just the yellow sun, or this combination of the muscles and the yellow sun, and to give him even more power. Yeah, and this is... Another great panel is when uh, it's flashing back to the destruction of the Fortress of Solitude. And, uh, you know, Wonder Woman's like, oh, you'll make a new home and uh, just do this. And uh, <laughs> and Green Lantern's in the background. Uh, the Guardians wanted me to make double sure there were no issues with. And the Flash is like, hell, let this guy mourn his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Warning, New York is expensive as hell. Mm-hmm. So just... Touches like that just warm my my little heart. Yeah, it makes you wonder how he makes money now that print media is essentially dead. Uh, well, no, there's there's still there's still stuff going on. Uh, he's still there at the Daily Planet. Yeah. So at least they kind of address that in Supergirl that they work for a media company that includes newspapers and television rather than just newspaper. So I just uh, I just I'm excited about this series, and I have never been excited about a Superman comic book in my life. Yeah, so. um, I think it was Darren Barnard that had an interesting point about the character is that he's so powerful that he's basically living in a world that's made out of cardboard. Mm. And so he has to keep restraint all the time just yeah. to keep from injuring anybody because mm. even the slightest mistake could kill. And yet he's this decent, upstanding individual with a really strong moral center that comes from this like down home red state american upbringing yeah <laughs> well probably actually one of those uh like democratic farmer types <laughs> Dedo was a <laughs> yeah. conservative upbringing to be no honest if it you. was a conservative upbringing he wouldn't care about helping anyone yeah. well and the the funny thing is is that you start to think about that level of control and then you're like how does he not kill lois every time they fuck <laughs> Because he's got a son now. They're definitely mm. fucking. Well, according to Kevin Smith, his sperm would have just shot right through her skull. You know, just... Well, if she know. was giving him head, yeah. Well, I mean, just... <laughs> no, just regular missionary style. It would have oh, just sure. shot right through her spine and all. Gross. Yeah. Um. So we just have to 
let that go. It's a comic book. Yeah, there's things you just have to let go. That's very true. Yeah, and and I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm fine with that. So it's yeah, like, how does he shave? Like if his hair is like iron, like one strand of his hair can hold like fifty pounds or fifty tons or how something does he like get that. Haircuts. Well, he has laser vision, and you get a mirror and just laser there, off his own. There you go. That's how he does it. Yeah. So there's just all these weird little questions, but that's why it's a comic book. You just accept comic book logic. Yeah. So, guys, read Superman. Yes. Number one, Brian Michael Bendis at all. And, uh, yeah, just, it's, it's something I added to my whole box, and I never thought that I would be adding a Superman comic to my whole box. I'm not saying Superman is bad. I just didn't have an interest in him. I just thought he was kind of boring, because it's like, yeah, yeah, you're only vulnerable to magic and kryptonite. Yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. You always win. Who can come up against you unless they have magic or kryptonite? <laughs> but it's more than that. And, oh, yeah, and that's and I what was I wrong. thought all along. I mean, just from the original Christopher Reeve Superman movie, is there's just a love of the character and his moral center. And yeah, it's easy to be moral when you're invulnerable. Mm. You know, it's easy to make the good choice and be the good person when you can't be compromised because you can't be killed. But there's always people around you that can be hurt and injured, and there's always keeping your secret identity safe and yeah. all that stuff. So there are ways to hurt Superman that aren't directly just punching him in the face. No, I understand all yeah. of that now. Yeah. It's not something that I thought very deeply about, so I will full out admit I was wrong. Yep. That there is something, a lot to love, actually, in Superman. So go out there and get that issue. Yeah, he's not as boring as a character as people might say. So. Yeah, there's there's a lot to explore there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Dark track now? Dark track. Okay, this dark track comes from. Uh, the Finnish band Phantom Leaf. Finnish. And I believe they take their name from that, was it the Curian photographic thing where they put an electronic or electric plate with high voltage and they put like a leaf on and take a photo of it. And then you see missing pieces of the leaf. Crazy. And that kind of thing. Or you'd see somebody put their fingertip on and then it would have all these weird radiating sparks around it. Crazy. Yeah. So that's where I believe they got their name from. But they're this post-Gothic band from Finland. And we're going to play a song from them called Book of Winter. And we'll talk about it after. So this is Book of Winter by Phantom Leaf. <laughs> Oh, 
So that was Phantom Leaf yeah. from Finland with Book of Shat. Book of Shadows. Book of Winter. <laughs> yeah, well, they have a lot of winter there. Yep. Sounds like a Finnish band, especially in the vocals. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> that kind of has a typo-negative kind of sound to it. A bit. Uh, it was like, for me, it was like if typo-negative and 69 Eyes had a, a love child. Yeah, with really splashy cymbals on the yes. drums. <laughs> yes. Splashy. They were very splashy. Splashy. Kind of added to the ambiance of that particular song. Yeah. Right, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, it's very cool. I like the vocal style and had a nice little melody to it. Indeed. Had this epic sweeping nature to it, which is typical also of Finnish metal and Finnish rock. Yes. They like that symphonic shit. Yeah, they do like that <laughs> symphonic shit, bitches. Yeah. Well, generally, Scandinavian general likes that kind of stuff. Yep. But I think some people say Finland isn't actually part of Scandinavia. I guess it I depends on who you ask. I don't care. They're on the yeah. same continent. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. It's like, hey, they're still on that peninsula. They're attached to the others. So mm, They're right next yeah. to to Norway, yeah. so yeah. whatevs. Whatevs, exactly. So, yes, that was Phantom Leaf with Book of Winter. Winter. I wish it was a bit of winter now. Mm-hmm. I would like to open the Book of Winter and, <laughs> and make it up cold. In it. Yes. I'll wrap up in a blanket. And... Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mark Gagliardi. And I'm Hal Lublin, and we're the hosts of the new podcast, We Got This. Our plan is to provide irrefutable answers to irrelevant arguments. The final say on dumb debates. So don't worry, we got this. No topic is too small and no argument is too petty for us to tackle. You might be asking yourself, who are you two to make these decisions for all of humanity? That's easy, we're actors. So subscribe to We Got This on iTunes so you don't miss a single episode of us telling you what's best for you. Relax, the world. We got this. All right, shall we get into the point with our remaining time? There are... <laughs> we, we've really gone off the rails on tangents, yeah. this one. Well, we can just kind of touch on. Maybe this is something we can return to every once in a while, but we're going to have a little book club. Welcome to book club. We're not going to talk about one particular book, but we're going to, I guess, recommend authors and books that we enjoy. Yarp. And maybe touch on ones that we would have you avoid. Yarp. <laughs> Uh, you want to begin or shall I? Oh, you start, please. Okay, I have to start with Mason and Dixon by Thomas Pynchon. I've read other Thomas Pynchon books like Gravity's Rainbow and V, and I think I tried reading yet another one and just couldn't get into it enough to actually finish the thing. And they never really quite grabbed me, but for some reason, Mason and Dixon appealed to me almost instantly. And it's really the story of the Mason and Dixon line and how it was uh, was the term cartographed? <laughs> Cartography? It was cartographied. Yeah, that these two astronomers were looking at the stars to draw this line in the, you know, in North America during a rather turbulent time just around the American Revolution. <laughs> you know, just I think after, you know, the early days of America. Yeah. And in a way, it's like an Abbott and Costello kind of road thing with some really bizarre events. Like there's a robot duck, there's a feng shui expert, there's a talking dog. <laughs> the dog. There's um, this Jesuit conspiracy kind of thing where they communicate by hot air balloons with mirrors attached. And this around the same time that they changed the calendar... I think to what is it, the Julian calendar from the Gregorian calendar? Mm. And there's like 15 missing days or something like that. 
and the Mason character actually got stuck in those missing days <laughs> and had weird shadow creatures pursuing him. It's bizarre nonsense historical fiction, but it's so damn funny and it has so much heart. Like, uh, they visit George Washington and his butlers like a stand-up comedian. It's, it's nuts. It's weird, and I'm not even selling it properly, but it's just so engaging. And Dixon's great, too, because he's this Quaker, and he's really anti-slave, and anytime he encounters anybody who's a slaver or something, I think he actually walked up and punched one of them <laughs> in a scene, because, you know, he's just against that, and I think that's where I've read that, you know, no, anybody who stands on British soil is a free man, and so he kind of takes that with him, so I enjoyed that immensely that's my first recommendation mason and dixon by thomas pynchon uh what would you say your first recommendation is uh my recommendation my first recommendation is uh actually a collection of short stories oh cool by one mr james oh nice and the the tome is the tomes collectively is called a pleasing terror <laughs> nice because I really love those turn-of-the-century horror writers. Yeah, Jim Moon was recently talking about M.R. James as he has he's want to do. talking about M.R. James a lot because he's one of the masters. And what he said of him is that with a horror story, you don't want to begin with horror. No. Because there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You want to begin with the mundane and oh, work yeah. your way up to the horrific. Yes. And that way there's this gradual build and then as... Once you're in the meat of the really terror of the novel, you are actually fundamentally frightened because you've built up to it. There are many stories in that volume that were a pleasing terror. Nice. (laughs) And one of them, and I can't find the specific story right off the top, but I will uh, tell you about this. It had to do with a photograph of a home. And this photograph, when you weren't looking at it, would change. Ooh. And it seemed like it was no big deal at first. And you saw, like a child, suddenly saw a child in the window. And then you saw something moving across the lawn towards this house. Something that wasn't human, (laughs) but seemed humanoid, but was walking on all fours and like it was upside down. (laughs) And just, I won't spoil the rest of the story, but that thing, just the way he described it and the way... The terror of the person who was watching this happen from time to time. And it was like basically, you know, coming, like looking at something and coming back and it was as if someone had turned the page. Mm -hmm. Like it was a, not a frame by frame thing, but, you know, you, you look at it, it's like, oh, this is, this is an interesting picture. And then you come back an hour later and you're like, wait, what the fuck? (laughs) Okay, now there's a child in the window, and then just each time it progresses. And there's not necessarily ever an explanation for why events happen in particular stories, and that's fine. Well, explanation to horror is one of the worst things you can do to horror, because it takes the mystery and the wonder away from it. And if you can explain something, you have power over it. So that's why some of the greatest horror is the unexplainable. That's why Lovecraft is so beloved. The thing with Lovecraft is that I got tired of the unnameable, undescribable things. Mm, yeah. And I know that uh, that people love him, but I, 
there are certain words that he uses over and over again that kind of just start to rub me the wrong way. So I have to take Lovecraft in small doses. Yes. And I find that movies made of his work tend to be more palatable. Not that they're necessarily good. Yep. But, they, this, <laughs> but the stories tend to be more palatable because they take out that whole unknowable, undescribable thing. Also, you get away from the racism, hopefully. That too. Yeah. That too. There's a bit of that. Of all the writers of that particular period, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, I think M.R. James is my favorite. Yes. And Mr. Jim Moon has done many of a reading of an M.R. James story. Mm-hmm. And I just always enjoy it. I, there, he's done stories that I've read, but then when he reads them, I'm like, oh, I forgot how much I love this one. Yes. So I just heartily recommend A Pleasing Terror. White Noise by Don DeLillo. It's a rather absurdist account of modern life where... The father borrows the son's pornography to kind of get into the mood to have sex with his wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where the mother has a, an, a like public access exercise show and the baby knows her from that as much as knowing her from being at home. Mm. The father is this hip professor who's teaching like Elvis studies. And he kind of gets a bee in his bonnet when a rival professor comes into town teaching Hitler studies. And they have an argument over which one loved their mother more. Oh, wow. It's just this scathing account of American culture and how our culture is pop culture. Like they stop to get fast food and they're all talking in the car and they're getting all these facts wrong. Like the circle around the sun's a Corolla (laughs) (laughs) and nobody corrects them on it. (laughs) And he even makes an account that that's what family's for is to talk about things and never get corrected for your mistakes. Oh my God. And they have these drills every once in a while because they live next to this chemical plant and any time there might be a spill or something. And one day there is a spill and they have to get gas. And so he gets out of the car to put gas in the car and then later on gets his health checked. And there's just a bunch of asterisks on a computer. And he's like, what's that mean? It's like, well, basically you're sick, (laughs) you know, and it's just asterisks on a screen. You know, that's all it is to indicate that he might have shaved years off his life by stepping out of a car for a few moments. But that's Don DeLillo's white noise and. You can tell by the name, you know, being when you turn on the television and there's nothing coming through, that you just get that static, that white noise, that it's meaningless sound and picture, that that's his account of what our modern America, American lifestyle is. Mm. So there's white noise. So this one probably won't come as a surprise to anyone who has heard from us recently on the podcast that's not how i wanted to say that at all but we're just <laughs> those le- are words they make a sentence <laughs> they we're leaving it in don't edit that out and leave it in if you are interested in any way in a good story that happens to have science fiction in it with a very believable future oh, i see where you're going get leviathan wakes by james s.a Corey, which is two people that's a pseudonym. Uh-huh. It's the first book on which the television series The Expanse is based. Nice. And damn, they after reading so much of this first book, 
And even after just reading the first chapter of this book, I'm like, damn, they really nailed it in the television series. <laughs> it is so rare to find that level of harmony between the written word, the written story, and the visual story. Yes. And that's because, of course, the creators had a lot of say in the production of the television show as well. But it's just, oh, it's just so good. It's, it may not necessarily be the best writing you have ever read, but the way that they tell the story, even if I hadn't seen the show, I would still be able to vis visualize these characters. Very cool. Is that when, descriptive, huh? It's, it's descriptive. Nice. Amos, screen-wise, from the novel screen-wise, they made him younger. Okay. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's still pretty much Amos. Uh, I love you, Amos. <laughs> his big eyes. His, his big big eyes <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know if i would enjoy this book as much people always say you know see the movie or see the tv show then read the book i think you're good either way i don't think you're going to be disappointed whether you started with the series or whether you start with the book but this story is just so compelling to me that i will take every scrap of it i can get i still have a lot of books to go because the series is still going on yeah and thankfully, the television series will go on as well. The way they can make you see what they see through how they tell this story. And there are certain things that actually I understand better from reading the book. Like when, after the destruction of the Canterbury, and uh, they get picked up by the Martian ship, and they're interrogating Holden. They take this pill. The Martian takes a pill before talking to Holden. And it's a pill that makes them extremely focused. Their right. senses are heightened so that they can tell if you're lying. Uh -huh. And you don't really get that from the television series as much. You figure it's something like that yep. where they have they now have some kind of heightened sensory perception, but you don't really know for sure. Right. But that becomes extremely clear in the book. And sometimes it's just really nice to know what's going on inside the characters' heads. Yeah, that's something a book has over most uh, visual media. But, but at the same time, they do a great job in the television series of having that feeling of what's, what is going on in their head, what's said in the book, but not said out loud. You can actually still feel that in the television right. series. It's just that well done. So, God damn it, just go read Leviathan Wakes and you'll <laughs> understand what I mean. And it's really smart science fiction and smart character development, and I just really think very highly of it. Cool. The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. It's the story of four brothers and the death of their father. And it's an account of Russian life and expectations, such as one brother being in the military, one brother being in the clergy, one brother being a scholar, and the illegitimate brother just kind of being a screw-up. <laughs> and that's, like, typical of what you were expected to do in your family. You know, there's the one that's going to inherit all the wealth, you know, and the rest of them have nothing, and they'll just have to make a way for themselves. Their father was this landlord, so he had some money. And as it goes on, it's really a philosophical novel, and it's mostly the account of the scholar character, though well, the, the priest gets in there as well. I think all of them get represented, but the scholar is this 
you get this pre-socialist kind of attitude coming from him that mm. he's a like a lot of students are revolutionary he's having these revolutionary thoughts i think it's the same kind of thing you got from crime and punishment is you know the student like the students in les mis kind of have that too you know yeah they have these ideals and he has these ideals and unbeknownst to him his littlest brother was kind of picking up on those ideals and carrying them out and that's why the littlest brother is the one that killed their father Uh oh! is because he knew he was a bad man and needed to be removed (laughs) for progress bad man yeah and it has this great segment called the um the great inquisitor which is a story told by the scholar regarding if Jesus were to come back during the Inquisition and that the Inquisitors would have to put him to death because his ideals did not match with that of the church. Hmm. (laughs) Because things had changed since then with Jesus basically being a radical that the control, the absolute control the church demanded, they wouldn't see eye to eye. Hmm. So it's really fascinating stuff. The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Yeah, your, your selections sound way more intelligent than mine. <laughs> well, I that's what I enjoy out of literature, just the philosophical stuff or a weird challenge. I mean, sometimes I've, I've had hits and misses with them. Because <laughs> I've, I've read other Dostoevsky and it didn't have it connect as well. And same thing with Pynchon. You know, there are certain novels that do appeal to me. People may have heard me mention this before. Or I may be thinking of our previous podcast incarnation, but I recommend the whole series. But check out Thursday Next by Jasper <laughs> Fiford. Nice. If you love books, you will be delighted by this alternate reality version of Earth <laughs> where you can go into books. Yeah. And basically, think Legends of Tomorrow, but books. Mm-hmm. And Thursday next is the person who has to go in and fix books that have gone off track. Now, this is the series that has the interactive Shakespeare, right? Where it's like yep. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, very cool stuff. And uh, people from the books can come out into the quote-unquote real world. Miss Haversham driving around in a sports car. <laughs> Didn't they have like Greek figures like Acheron coming out and stuff? Yeah, lots of weird shit. Um, having to fix uh, Jane Eyre. <laughs> the Air Affair? Is that what that one's called? Yeah, the Air Affair uh, is the very first one. So that's, uh, yeah, the whole Thursday Next series is just top notch. And there's always somebody that has a name that includes a vulgarity. Like in the very first few, it's Jack Shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> S-C-H-I-T, something like that? S-C-H-I-T-T. All right. It's just, it's funny. It's (laughs) it's delightful. It's weird. It is unique. Yes. It is fabulous. And I just adore Jasper Ford's writing. Mm -hmm. I would read anything by the guy. He's a really strong humorist and good action, too. Good action, good characters. Just really great. And I didn't think I would like his offshoot series, Nursery Crimes, <laughs> which is basically <laughs> just, it's a, a division of fictional characters that police the uh, fairy tales and, sh- and nursery <laughs> rhymes and shit. And it's damned funny. It's just good stuff. It's good reading. And 
it touches on so many classics and also some modern stuff. In the in this universe, the Crimean War is still happening. Oh man, still happening, <laughs> and just other really bizarre things. And it takes place a lot in Swindon, in England. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Swindon. Hello, Swindon. Swindon. About to go up the ladder. <laughs> I see you on your instruments. We have you on a tuba right now. Yes, uh, that's an Eddie Izzard bit. Yep. But yes, adore Jasper Ford. But I especially adore the Thursday Next books. But I'll, I'll, I adore everything he's written. There has not been a single stinker. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to be in a similar vein. It's a very brief series. There's two books in this series. And there's also kind of nonsense, humor wordplay, some mathematics. It's Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll. Oh, yeah. Now, after World War One, a lot of book sales decreased, but one that actually increased was those two novels because they reference nonsense and the meaninglessness of it all and how there's always underneath everything the threat of death. And for a children's book, essentially... To have death around every corner, mm. it's quite remarkable. And you can see why it's had so much influence over other things. I mean, The Matrix makes a reference to the White Rabbit, uh, the Batman universe. I mean, he has a whole collective of enemies based on Alice in Wonderland, mm. like the Mad Hatter, amongst others. Mm-hmm. There's a point where she goes through the wilderness with no names. And she encounters a fawn, but she doesn't know what to call it. And it's not until they're out of that section of the forest that the fawn recognizes her as human and runs away. Because to name something is to identify it, know Mm. it, and have power over it. And so if you can't name anything, you don't know what it is, then there's no reason to be afraid of it. (laughs) True. Very true. It's not until the fawn realizes that Alice is human that it runs away. And through the looking glass is how he works through everything going backwards through time is this lady complaining you know i think it was the white queen complaining before she gets pricked by a pin because <laughs> <laughs> she hurts before it happens or the time they had cake and what they ended up is just spitting up the cake <laughs> oh, gross. so just fun uses of of time and wordplay the whole unbirthday present thing isn't it better to get an unbirthday present because you get 364 presents instead of just one? Excellent. I'm I'm down for that. Or he's here every other day, as in he's never here because t- today is never another day. <laughs> you can read that. It still holds up. It's just bizarre and funny and ridiculous and makes you realize how absurd everything is. And especially in trying times like now where there's just absurdity all around you, you read and go, oh. It's like always been like this way that, you know, politicians have always been absurdist. I mean, the representation of the Red Queen with off with her head, off with her head. Mm. What Mad Hatter being in prison for killing time because he's a terrible poet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Yeah, that's like three puns all in one. So, yeah, you get a lot of wordplay. You kind of have to overlook that. You know, Lewis Carroll might have been a bit of a creep. Mm. I mean, he did photograph naked girls, which is just bizarre. Well, sometimes you have to separate the art from the artist. Yeah, so there's uh, that to, to consider. It's it's hard to do sometimes. Yeah. Uh, what's your next recommendation? Uh, I'm going to give a local author some love. Oh, nice. Charlie Holmberg. 
That's oh, a lady. Cool. <laughs> oh, it's like the McElroys, you know, Justin Sidney's daughter named Charlie. Yeah, all the girls in her family are named after boys. That's very cool. I've met her. She's delightful. I really, she's this tiny little thing. I could pick her up and carry her around like a child. I would never <laughs> do that to you, Charlie. I happened upon her first book by, not necessarily by accident, but it was one of those things where it was free for a time on Amazon right? Uh, on my Kindle. I thought, this sounds interesting. It's called The Paper Magician. That's actually book one of a series. I think the fourth book was released last year. It's, again, an alternate history Earth where magic is a thing. Like urban fantasy, I think yeah, it's called. something yeah. like that. I don't know. But this is kind of more turn-of-the-century sort oh, of thing. okay. There is this expectation that if you want to go into magic you're eventually going to have to bond to a specific type of magic whether it be Mm. fire magic water magic etc and you don't necessarily get to choose for yourself Uh the guild will choose for you if they don't have enough magicians in a particular area and so our heroine as she gets forced to become a paper magician (laughs) she's like really paper yeah that's what she thought at first too (laughs) and she is of course assigned a tutor Uh and she basically boards at his home and he's teaching her all of the intricacies of paper but he's a bit absent-minded i wouldn't say absent-minded i would say distracted because there is so much more going on with him than what he first appears to convey right and there is a whole adventure in this book that you really do not see coming. <laughs> that you're just like, <laughs> okay, all right. I never thought paper could could do that. That is amazing. And so mm-hmm. just how she learns to fold papers, different kinds of papers in different ways. So it's like a lot like origami, except you're creating so many more things. Very cool. Words have power on paper. Uh, it's just it's fascinating this world she created it's so rich and believable and interesting and i was absolutely flabbergasted to find out that she basically lives in my own backyard that's very cool Um, and she's just she's just cranking them out she has other books besides the magician series and she's just a wonderful writer i adore her there's a thing in taoist magic called celestial uh, calligraphy where you can write spells and whatnot on paper and then you can attach it to something and you'll mm-hmm. see that in some anime oh yeah and some like live action kung fu type stuff that's more supernatural oriented is to put a banishment spell on some kind of paper and then put it on somebody's mm-hmm. forehead and then they disappear so yeah paper magic can be really cool depending on how you utilize it yeah well and the thing is is that it seems like it would be weak to a lot of other things but it is very powerful in ways that you can't really imagine at the beginning of the book and then as the book progresses you're learning with the main character it's like oh this is actually one of the more powerful types of magic of course there's always an evil faction oh of course and they practice things like blood magic that's never good oh no uh so if they can get blood especially your blood, there's a lot of crap they can do to you. Yes. With just a few drops of your blood. (laughs) And so it's forbidden magic. And of course, if it's forbidden, well, then, you know, there's going to be people who do it. They're a scary lot, that bunch. Yeah. It's just, it's a fascinating, fascinating world. And it just keeps broadening with each book where I just think, how can 
this get any more interesting, and then she does it. Charlie and Holmberg, I salute you. Uh-huh. And I was so excited I got to meet her at Comic-Con last year. It was one of my dreams. Got her to autograph one of my books. <laughs> nice. So, She's just, and she's started, she's written another book called Veins of Gold that I have not read yet because it just barely came out. But yeah, start with The Paper Magician. It's really great. I, my final choice, I'm going to go with a nonfiction book. No, you're not allowed. I'm just kidding. Okay. You're well, totally, I could totally recommend kidding. this person's fiction. It's uh, Albert Camus. He wrote The Stranger. He wrote The Plague. He wrote, I think, The Fall. I think there's another one that's called The Trial. But he's French existentialist, and he wrote this, I guess, collection of essays called The Rebel. And it's a fascinating look into the nature of rebellion in fictional characters, in actual life and politics, and even addressing how suicide is like this ultimate act of rebellion. Because you take, you know, the one gift you're given on this earth, your life, and you reject it. And he explores the philosophy of that and that certain i think bolshevik terrorists or some i think they might have been turkish terrorists would carry out their act of terror and then take their own lives because it was like a one-for-one kind of trade-off and it's really quite fascinating look into the nature of rebellion and he he brought up the master-slave relationship and how it really doesn't benefit either. You know, of course, it's horrible to be a slave, but the slaver doesn't really benefit either because they don't get any kind of satisfaction from working with their own hands because they're forcing somebody to work for them, and that debases them. So really, you have to escape the master-slave relationship to truly rebel. You can't be one or the other, and that you can't really be a full human if you enter into that agreement, which is... Odd, because the master-slave relationship is very much based in Germanic philosophy. And you get some of that with the whole Marxist thing, you know, is having workers own the product that they're making, you know, to get rid of the slave or the master's society and just be a worker group. So, yeah, that's my final recommendation. With All right, do you have your final selection, darling? All right, I'm going to go a totally different direction. Of course. From anything that I've said before and recommend a children's book. Nice. And it's Ann Wheaton's book, Piggy and Pug. Oh, great. It I is love Ann Wheaton. so heartwarming and also heartbreaking Aww, at the same time. No, but I mean, it's the heartbreak doesn't last but it has some moments in it where it's just like oh god you know being an adult mm-hmm. you're reading this and going, oh my god they <laughs> abandoned this poor little dog how can you do that <laughs> but sorry she's actually tearing up from thinking about it but it's so it's so sweet it's so good it's a really great story about making friends. Oh, nice. And about how people should be more conscious of their actions. Yep, and kind and caring. Yes. So, uh, and I'm not just saying this because Anne Wheaton is married to Will Wheaton and that's the only reason I know about her and blah, blah, blah. She's her own no, person she with is, her own talents. Yes, she is. And she fought hard to get this book published. I mean, mm-hmm. she had to self-publish. Yeah. But the thing is, 
there is a dearth of good children's books out there. Yeah, there are a crap load of children's books out there, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily all good. Well, consider how many of them are, like, far right wing and trying to instill this false patriotism and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then along comes this sweet little story mm-hmm. that about a pig and a pug Aww. who become little pug friends. dog? Pug face dog? <laughs> yes. And... I just, I just read it. It's a children's book. It's not going to take you very long, but it's one of those things that I feel like this needs to be, this needs to be out there. This needs to be pervasive and get into everybody's houses because children will love this book. Adults will love this book. It has some valuable and realistic lessons in it Mm -hmm. without being preachy and in your face. Excellent. So please... Read Piggy and Pug. Yep. Because you will love it. It's sweet and heartbreaking and heartwarming and a lot of things that you wouldn't expect from a children's book. By Piggy and Pug. <laughs> Piggy and Pug. And it's it's interesting to see the different attitudes between Piggy, how Piggy goes about her day and how Pug goes about his day. And it's just nice about attitude. Yeah. But basically piggy just goes around everywhere will you be my friend <laughs> Jeez, it's adorable mm-hmm. so i know that that's kind of out of left field but hey if you recommend it children's books have value they should have value and yeah. you should be aware of what you're reading to your children well it's also like how the most interesting books seem to come out for young adults, mm. like YA fiction seems to be the most interesting stuff. There is a lot of great YA fiction, but this is a child's yeah, book. Child's this book. is a picture book. I am more of an escapist fiction person yep. because I feel everything all the time and there is no off switch. And so it's just hard on me yeah. to read these hard books. And I'm not saying they're hard to read as in I don't understand them. I'm saying they're hard to read as that they are... They're oppressive. They're oppressive and depressive. <laughs> yep. Uh, which is why I threw Time Traveler's Wife across the room after I finished it. The thing was is that I had borrowed it. <laughs> so it was, like, oh, no. really, it was really bad of me to do that. I dented it. <laughs> so because I, I read this book and I thought, why the fuck did I read this? It was a waste of your time. Yeah, it was a waste of my time. Yeah. I kept hoping it was going to redeem itself at some point, but it didn't. And honestly, I don't know why I finished it. All right. I guess that's our book club then taken care of. Five recommends from each of us. So that gives you 10 books to read if you so desire. Or more. Or if more. You, if you like the series. The series yeah. yeah. If you want to continue a series. So I suppose that leaves us with shout outs. Shout outs. Hey! hey! My shout out is to funny person Jackie Cation. It's her birthday as we record. In fact, she was just tweeting a moment ago that she has only a couple of hours left on her birthday. (laughs) So she was wishing everybody to be more decent people. (laughs) That is a great wish. Um, She's like, I haven't had many presents today, so this is the one I want. I want you all to be more decent. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and people are like, well, what, what were you, what would you wish for if, you, if it, you know, it's like, oh, I wish to pass out. What'd you wish for? World peace. Mm-hmm. And they look at me like I'm joking. Yep. I am not. Nope. I am not. Can't we all just get along? Can't we all just get along? Live and live, live. So happy birthday, Jackie Cation. Yep. 
I don't know why I sing a song like that. Yeah, so you can hear her on the Dork Forest podcast, which her podcast that's one of the longest running podcasts, I think is like 12 years or more. It's old. delightful. And she's on the Jackie and Lori show where they talk about stand-up comedy and often throw shade at people who are not paying as much as they should or being jackasses and being sexist and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on and a lot of putting names on papers and handing them to each other. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that guy, yeah, mm-hmm. that guy. He's like, I can see that. Or no, that's surprising. I didn't expect that from that guy. All right, Brandy, who is your shout out? My shout out is to my friend and co-host on Warp 5, Patrick Devlin, because he has had a shitty, shitty week. Oh, hell yeah. I'm not going to go into all the details of why he has had a shitty week because he knows those details already. Yeah. But buddy, it's like I said earlier in a message to you, maybe karma is taking out credit so that it can deliver something really badass to you in the future. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say really bad. So it's like... <laughs> no, badass. <laughs> badass. It's like, ugh, things are bad enough, you, but badass. You've got some badass good coming your way. Yeah, that's tends to be the way I think, which is why I kind of am attracted to Taoism, that there's a balance in all things. Is like, if you have a lot of shitty things happen to you in a short amount of time, it's like something good must be around the corner. Yes. Just to balance it all out. And just know, we're thinking about you, buddy. Oh, hell yeah. We love you, and we hope that things get better soon. Yep. And and I miss podcasting with you. Yeah, get back to Warp 5. Yeah. On Trek FM. Yeah. All right, that's the end of this episode. I guess we'll throw together another one a week from now. Try to get back on schedule, maybe. <laughs> so, I guess with that, goodbye. Toodles. have just listened to the dark corner podcast hosted by brandy and david jacola find us and other fine podcasts at strangeanddeadly.com send any feedback to the dark corner pod at gmail.com follow us on twitter at dark corner cast you can also like the dark corner podcast page or join the dark corner podcast group on facebook the intro and outro music is Artificial Nocturne Love Thy Brother Remix by Metric. The dark track featured on the podcast was either submitted directly or offered for free by the artist or the artist's representatives. No infringement of copyright is intended. If you enjoy the show, please rate us and leave a review on iTunes. If nothing else, then to let us know that you're out there listening. Now we return you into the light. Until next time, peace and love. Like